0: Welcome to the meditation ward. My name is Nadia Ward. I'm really excited to bring you this podcast where I talk to interesting people who also happen to be meditators. We talk about their stories, the way they got into meditation and any tips or tools they'd like to share with you. Each week, there's a second episode, a guided meditation that we hope you'll enjoy. If you would like to start your own meditation practice, we would love you to check out our course, Exploring Meditation, a seven week course designed by me, Nadia. Each week you learn new tips and tools and how to create your own personal meditation practice that works for you. Follow us at The Meditation Ward on Instagram or go to the website, themeditationward.com. Sign up for our emails and check out our courses. And now, On to the episode. Thank you for coming to the meditation ward. I'm really honored to get to have Rudy Koizner here today. Rudy is a 20 plus year special operations veteran currently serving serving in the U.S. Army. His background includes multiple combat developments around the world, as well as tours of duty as a special forces sniper instructor and training and development officer for special forces candidates, among many other things. After years of struggling with PTSD, anxiety, depression, suicide, he has developed a deep passion for exploring and integrating the mental and physical mechanics of the human experience. Wow. A lot. That's a lot. Did I butcher your last name?
1: Um, I've heard it before that way. So Yeah. How do you say it? Uh, so... I, great discussion of of this i don't actually really know um so it's complicated because like my name so it's actually it's a polish name a lot of people start with it thinking it's like french or something but there used to be a ski uh, attached to the end of that so you speak on source ski. so that's kind of how i go with it i feel like that's how it sounds but at some point it got chopped off and i've heard every variation between you know middle school and freaking being in the military like everybody has a different twist on it and it's kind of funny and me and uh, Danica were talking about this the other day I' just like how do you say your last name and I was like I don't know
0: yeah Danica is his girlfriend love of his life so how do you say it like if you introduce yourself or you just don't
1: <laughs> I I usually just say Gonzor. I think that's that's the Gonzor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I also hear other family members of mine pronounce it differently. So I'm like, am I wrong? Uh, I don't <laughs> that's funny. I don't um,
0: more importantly, your bio <laughs> was incredible <laughs> and all the things that you've done. And, um, you know, this being the meditation ward, we talk about kind of like not just your meditation practice, but your journey into your practice. So that might take a little while with all of the stuff that you've done. But I'm curious to even just start with how you you're in Maine now, but like, where did you grow up and how did you end up getting into the army slash special forces?
1: Well, yeah, it's, a it was a, my whole life has been a roundabout journey. It was definitely not a straight, straight path. Uh, but I actually, so I now pretty much live where I grew up. So I grew up here in coastal Maine, um, had pretty much an epic childhood. It was pretty awesome growing up here. Maine's a great place. Like, I just grew up on the islands, just running through the woods. Uh, It was pretty awesome. Um, And I ended up uh, joining, I actually ended up in the Marines. I joined the Marines uh, coming out of, like, high school. Uh, That kind of started this this 20 year journey for me at some point I, I switched over uh, to the army and uh, it was a really strong like uh like guess tie like almost when both my parents were, were in the military uh, both my grandfathers were in the military so it obviously had like a, a pretty big like effect on me like I grew up living mm-hmm. next door to my grandfather who is uh, was, was pretty much one of the most amazing people like, I've ever known like uh, just absolutely just full of like the craziest stories like um so he dropped out of school in the eighth grade and uh ended up uh joining uh, the army uh, right at the end of like world war ii started this life of adventure for him and so like i grew up i spent a ton of time like with my grandparents um and just really just grew up with like all these just the stories of like this adventure and like this curiosity which like really kind of like vibe with me and I think that's part of like what kind of led me to living a life of adventure um my story had a few more twists in it uh, that I did not see coming but um yeah that's uh it's kind of how I ended up there it seemed it was a pretty natural I think progression like for me
0: after you got into the <laughs> marines you then became a special forces agent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you making fun of me? I don't know. Uh, it's the, uh, it's the <laughs> You became a 007?
1: Yeah, pr- pretty much. <laughs> no, uh, so I started, um, I ended up in the Marines. So I kind of joined like, uh, at, right after like nine eleven, 11 which was a really, I guess it was like a really influential like time for me. You know, it's something that it's, it's interesting, like looking back at it now, like it's really kind of what I think pushed me like in that direction. Um, It was a gateway kind of like into like this world. So I started out, I just pretty much just jumped like right in, I ended up in the infantry um, for about four years, Um, four years there, uh, with the combat tour. And even that was a, a pretty rough journey. I was in Iraq. Um, so this was 06 kind of at the beginning of what the what we now call like the the surge and the uh, Sunni insurgency. Um, it was a did pretty. Did you kill Bin Laden? I did not kill Bin Laden. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: yeah, it was a really it was a really eye opening experience, like for me. I mean, as anybody, and I guess it kind of I would describe. My experience coming into things like meditation you know a lot of people i think enter through a different doorway <laughs> than yeah. the route that i kind of took um and i think kind of throws people off sometimes you know like a lot of people enter into you know meditation and mindfulness um kind of like from a place of like let say light and you know um i enter this through I would call like a shadow gateway, um, looking into some very deep, dark places of the human experience, which is also completely wonderful and valid to, you know, a lot of people automatically kind of put it, this in a, in a box, like these experiences, it's like, oh man, that must have been hard and dark. And it, it was, but it was also an incredible experience that I now treasure like more than like anything in my life. And, uh, that you was, living
0: like, in a space of like daily fear and stuff? Oh,
1: I, it's difficult to describe, but yeah, you know, being, I was very young at the time, uh, 20 years old, and I can just remember, like, it was so not what I thought it was going to be. Every day was just a fight for life. Like, it was, uh, It was it was probably one of the most challenging times like I've ever gone through like mentally like and emotionally. I can just remember like every day just being like, God, like please like just get me fucking through this, and I will never do anything interesting again in my life. Like, (laughs) which was
0: a complete lie. Yeah, it was
1: just a complete lie. It was bargaining. It's part of like this process of like grief, you know. Um, Yeah. It was you know the ending. It's an opening an ending of one thing and opening into another um but i went dragging and screaming and it it really brought me in close contact with some incredibly like dark parts like of like myself um and and it took years like to really even like open up to that because i mean it's it's what i what i kind of refer to as like a looking glass moment where you're looking into like this mirror and you're seeing you know this this dark mirror and you're seeing who you really are and that's that's a lot for like people you know to really like to really look at yourself and to look at where you are like in humanity and like everything and uh, what did
0: you find um
1: well i'm i realized i was kind of a dick uh um just it got me uh, it started this contact with this part of myself um that uh, very like kind of primal um and in some ways this journey arc basically goes through my entire life this is I guess the first time that I was really forced like face to face with this part of myself and honestly like I didn't really want to be face-to-face with that, but like the situations that occur, like it was just, it was happening, whether you like it or not, like, um, and it took, I mean, better part of like a decade, really to kind of come full circle into that. Um, But really like it, you realize who you are, like in a lot of ways and like both the good and the bad. And you start realizing like, okay, this is the real you. And you have two choices, like in the looking glass moment. One choice, which I think, you know, a lot of us tend to make in our daily lives. If you have the ability to kind of lock that up and to kind of like hide yourself, like in the the proverbial palace um, and never like really face that, um, I think a lot of us choose that path, a path of least resistance. And I know like I did, honestly, like even after coming into close contact with the the real Rudy like it was so much to take in and then like I kind of like closed myself off I knew it existed but we just kind of like all pretended that that part of me didn't exist and you know, you don't talk about it um because honestly it is it's really hard to even like put words to this dark part of like yeah. the human that a lot of people like are, it's taboo to like even talk about um, like earlier, you know, you're kind of discussing, you know, the vulnerability of like even discussing, you know, topics like, you know, suicide and things like that. That's part of like this dark shadow that's that's in there. Mm-hmm. And true, there's like that saying that like your greatest weaknesses are also like your greatest strengths. And that's something I've found, um, like this part of myself that I found ended up being pretty much like one of my favorite parts of myself and it took years to like really embrace it um like for me like this it's it's always been there it's always been like a part and i do often describe it um i describe it as like the beast and it's this primal like energetic animalistic like essence and i think it's actually inside all of us to like various degrees and for me like I honestly can remember encountering this part of myself at a very very young age uh, probably about four or five years old I can remember And are like, you
0: talking to about the shadow gateway as yeah. well as the beast
1: mm-hmm. yeah so the okay. I guess the beast is like the
0: part of your shadow
1: the vehicle yeah my shadow and like kind of coming through like this gateway into you know mindfulness meditation and awareness and that's really what kind of what brought me through it and like I the darkness of, like it was something that like i was saying, like probably four or five years old was like when I first like started to encounter this part of myself uh, I, can, I can remember sitting like in church like with my grandmother and I remember like listening to um I think it was the story of like Cain and Mabel and like the concept of like murder of like you know came murdering like Abel in the first time like that thought and like idea of like one human being like killing like another and like four or five years old like that's some pretty dark shit to be <laughs> contemplating and being like yeah I get that and but I also like there's a part of me at that time that was like all right don't ever tell anybody about this like this this part of you this awareness
0: Great, right, the um, part of you that didn't like push it away, but kind of like thought more about it and what it would be like.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah,
0: um, yeah that would be pretty shameful as a four-year-old. It's, or, it's like it's, in your head.
1: Yeah, incredibly difficult just to like to know that like there's this part of you that's inside of you, not really understand like why this this mechanism itself exists. And like again. My time, that uh, first experiences in combat, like brought me in close contact. Like it really, it strips you like really raw, and you like I was saying, like, you get to kind of see like these parts of yourself, and you're like, oh my fucking god, like it is, it's scary, like to really see that, and again, like to to struggle with that, and then not be able to say anything, you know, because one, there's a part of you that feels very isolated you know like how do you talk about that like there's not a lot of open conversation about like these sort of things and most most of us like in the say like the western world we have this ability to insulate (laughs) like the things that are from things that make us feel uncomfortable we tend to do that even like even me like when I come back from this first experience, I'm just like, all right, we'll put this in the box, and we'll never talk about this again. <laughs> and that was that was like this dark like gateway, because um, it definitely opened something, but it was something that it took a long time to like to really kind of come about um, in that first experience. and it, but it was also something that just kept drawing me back. And I think it's probably a little bit unusual or most people that kind of enter into this world that way. But I think, honestly, there's a lot more people uh, that kind of do experience these these things and they're wonderful opportunities. Um, Like the shadow is such a powerful like tool and that's kind of how I ended up in this space. Um, You know, that-
0: Using that fierce side of you, that like unfearful side of you, that's like a fighter and dark, to let you go to these spaces of...
1: Yeah, like it, I guess in many ways, it dragged, this beast kind of like dragged the rest of me along for the journey. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, like the, because I think very much like the human mind is, we often think of it as like this monolithic thing, right? When you think of yourself, a lot of us tend to grow up with like this structure of being an individual. But the reality is like who we are inside of our heads is divisible like there's there's all sorts of different parts of us and I feel like this the beast part of myself like in this experience really grew like super strong and it just started it pulled me like into like this space in a very very uncomfortable way um, you know for me this was after that first experience um, I mean i stayed i ended up uh, going over to uh, marine special operations after that deployment Um, and then i ended up being recruited and selected into army special forces uh, like a year or two later and so i was pretty much i've stayed like in that world Uh, that's where i'm still at now and
0: are you considered a green beret yes and what does a green beret really mean because i've always found that like super interesting i just know you do some wild stuff
1: it means we wear a silly useless hat
0: (laughs) (laughs) you literally wear a green beret
1: not not all the time um but
0: yes uh, (laughs) that didn't even cross my mind
1: short short side um so yeah the world of like special operations it's there's a lot of like nuanced facets um basically at the end of world war ii um, they had what was called like uh, the office of strategic services and so they kind of broke that into two separate groups you at the end of the war you ended up with the cia uh, that handled most of the intelligence stuff they kind of started that and then uh, special forces got started to kind of handle the more technical aspects of um, operations such as unconventional warfare um, not so much the espionage, but like sabotage, you know, things like that, Uh, basically working behind enemy lines. And it's kind of morphed now into what we now call special operations, which is kind of like an umbrella term for uh, a lot of different things. So things that are within special operations like uh, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, things like that, those are all considered special operations. But the special forces is basically a, a separate like force Uh, again our missions primarily focused on unconventional warfare um, but we do a lot of other stuff as well back in the 60s basically they all wore like green berets so it's kind of like from the early years it kind of it's a market distinction like a simple
0: um i have a question and about um your beast (laughs) a couple say you're like 20 to 25 what percentage, this is a two-part question, what percentage do you think was the beast running you versus your person, your truth, or who you were? And and now, what would you say the percentage of beast versus you that uh, comes through or indecision-wise or just like um, consciousness-wise?
1: I would say like it ebbs and flows um like anything and i think in these years of turmoil for me um it was like this tug of war there was not the continuity between the different parts of myself i was basically at war within myself and it that's what made it like really a struggle and oftentimes i think um when we're discussing things like ptsd for example like i had from just this first experience and you know many sequential experiences after this, like I struggled a lot with post-traumatic stress and a lot of like depression, anxiety, and it, it brought me to like this point of you know suicide. And I think a lot of what like post-traumatic stress is, I mean, this is like, it's experiencing an incredibly traumatic event. And then it's this, this differential that occurs with inside of yourself against these different parts. And for me, that that's what I was experiencing. I mean, it was uh, some absolutely insane experiences, and then not knowing like the different parts being like at odds with themselves and like trying to like figure this out. Um, and I lived with that for, how do I say over a decade. Um, and kind of continued going on. it would be like this this tug of war. Like I would go, you know again, I would just continue to deploy and like on deployment, like that's where you know come into like this really close contact because like this this beast part, like it would live and it would thrive like in those environments. And it was just like, holy shit, like this thing is like out of fucking control, like I just, it, I, this thing is inside of me and I don't, I barely know how to like control it at some points and where, so it would have these periods where it would just be kind of like running like loose. And then, um, you know, at other times, like it would, it would die down and be able to like live a normal life. And so I think like, it was kind of
0: at its, at its discretion.
1: Yeah, yeah, and discretion and also awesome circumstance. I think right. circumstances sometimes very much shift, like what is needed, like in us. Um, but for me, not knowing what was going on, like not really understanding the mechanisms at play, it was a freaking nightmare to, <laughs> to like deal with, and it it made things like really difficult because there wasn't there wasn't any sort of harmony like within like myself like I said, it was always this tug of war, me trying to control this part of myself. Um, and that, that I think was at like the core of like a lot of my distress and it would get to this point where, you know, in the later years, like it was so exhausting. Like I was contemplating like, I was just, I just want this to end. Like, I don't think I really, I didn't want to die, but like there was a I didn't want to kill myself, but like I wanted it to just end. And like, if, like, for me, I was like, all right, like, if maybe it's, maybe this is an option, you know, like, will wouldn't be the first person to be here. And that is kind of what um, began to kind of push me into ex- exploring like the, that actual experience. So, um, 2012, I'd just come back from uh, a super, let's say we say kinetic uh in deployment um I did a 10-month deployment to Afghanistan um and it's probably probably one of the most violent experiences that I've had and but also like one of the most successful you know deployments I've also had and coming back from that I was just so like burnt out from that experience and I was about to like leave the army and I ended up um being talked into uh, taking a position as a sniper instructor. Uh, so that trip, I had spent uh, pretty much the entire time as a operating as a, a special operations sniper.
0: Yeah, you know, so I had
1: all this experience, and I got offered this position to teach. Um, and the great thing about like teaching is, you think you know shit until you have to like teach it to somebody else, <laughs> and then you start.
0: Yeah, being a teacher really makes you an expert in a way because if yeah. you can. Own it and properly teach.
1: It really, is. yeah. It yeah. for me, it you know, because you to be having a conversation about something, and you never know where the conversation is going to go. But like oftentimes, you have to know something you know three or four levels deeper than the question that might be asked of you. And so it really started making me deep dive like a lot of um, a lot of things. And so, I mean, I guess. Tying it back into like meditation. like um, you know, I grew up uh, shooting. like I've been pretty much shooting since I was like about twelve. So a lot of my my deep diving as an instructor revolved around. it's kind of started with just a deeper understanding of the fundamentals of marksmanship. Um, which again, it sounds like a really weird way to get into meditation, but knowing what I know now, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like no oh, wonder I ended up where I am. Um, so within like the fundamentals of marksmanship, it's kind of broken down into four major major sections. Like, so your first is like body position. So obviously, like to to stabilize it's like a rifle, you, your body has to not be moving because your body is connected to the rifle. So if the rifle's moving, it's pretty hard to actually hit something. Um, and then sight alignment, sight picture. This is kind of orienting the rifle in the right direction. Uh, but the third is breath, which was like it was a really big part of both marksmanship but also this journey that I kind of began into meditation
0: you're supposed so, to be at the top of your breath right when you no, shoot. Bottom?
1: No. The bottom so there's a very so there's a mechanical aspect to breathing why it's important in marksmanship is one like you're if you're at a different point in your breath it actually shifts your skeletal structure so like if you breathe in it can shift your skeletal structure up or down. So that kind of shifts what we call the natural point of aim of the rifle. So we want to come to the same point every single time to maintain consistency. And oh, so and
0: your inhales could be different levels, but your complete exhale is always the same.
1: Trying to be a good shooter. So <laughs> yeah. so if you get into different positions how much you can actually breathe in or breathe out is going to be different but the most consistent thing you can do is come to what we call like the natural respiratory pause so you breathe in and you breathe out and you kind of come to this relaxed state um you you can actually depress your diaphragm a little bit further and we'll force a little bit more air out but you just come to like this relaxed like neutral state and once you're there like that's that's where you're going to break your shot So it has a big, like, physiological effect. Like, you want to be in the same place every single time. Um, But then you can't stay there very long. So staying there, the problem that happens right about six to eight seconds as you start kind of holding your breath. This is when, like, your brain starts to flip off anything that considers non-critical functions. So eventually, like, if you've ever been, like, passed out or something, you know, you know, from a lack of oxygen, basically what will happen is like your your tunnel vision, color starts to go, sound starts to go. That's basically your brain being like, oh shit, like we're dying. Like let's uh, let's start turning off anything that's not important so we can focus on what is important. So in marksmanship, it's kind of weird because typically you don't hold your breath that long, but the brain actually starts doing this right around like six to eight seconds. And the very first thing that starts to go is like your fine visual acuity. And so like kind of understanding more about this, I started to realize, I'm like, oh, what we're doing with our breath has a really big impact on like how we're thinking and processing. And I would see it oftentimes like in, we conduct you know stress, stress shoots uh, for the students where we put them through like, these series like these we call them like and gun events where they're moving and they're shooting, you know, sometimes like through like a urban like obstacle course. And I mean, you know, it doesn't take long to start like really being under a lot of, you know, physical pressure where like your aerobic capacity is just being pushed to the max. And even then you start, you know, guys get into some of these positions and, you know, they're trying to like shoot And then you know, as an instructor, you're watching, and you're just like, this dude hasn't taken a breath in like 30, 40 seconds. And like he's struggling to like make this shot. And it's just like the brain is just like turning everything off. And the longer he holds it, the harder it gets, never gets any better. And so it really it got me interested. I was like, I want to know more about what's going on, like with the breath. And it kind of like led me to exploring like a lot of these sort of things and realizing that to control mental states uh your breath has like a really 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 huge impact especially like in the immediate and it kind of brought me into contact with like some of the techniques um that are very common common in other parts of like <laughs> other parts of culture but not so much in ours things like box breathing uh, this was something that I ended up learning from some British uh special forces guys and taught me this honestly the first time i heard it i was like man that is some like kind of like woo shit like but it it works and it's you're able to begin to mentally kind of take control of the situation you're basically manipulating the body with like an intention to set yourself up to make kind of like the best decisions this the simplest solution is to basically breathe in and breathe out again like so you teach it a lot or you know like you pop into you know a position usually like 3d breaths that kind of basically settle you and like if you you're breaking the shot if the shot's not happening you just breathe in again and reset um but yeah that whole that whole journey of like the breath kind of led into some other things where i started exploring um got really interesting spaces of like uh, intuitive experiences I also started competing at this time uh, as a professional shooter uh, in competitions, um, won you know, a couple international like titles during this period and trying to bring that back and trying to explain. No big deal, Rudy. No big deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it basically created this pressure because people were like, OK, you're doing this. Teach me like and I was like, I don't know how I don't know what's going on. I can't, I can't, like, how do I replicate this? Like, it's, I'm only one person. I guess, like, as an instructor, like, that was kind of this realization from a professional standpoint. I was like, you know, in a very practical sense, I can only shoot, like, so many bad guys. (laughs)
2: Like,
1: this realization (laughs) that I wanted to, I guess, bring this part, like, it's a very practical aspect of, like, being put in this position, trying to explain to other people what this experience is um and so it led me into kind of this exploration of like intuitive behaviors and like subcognitive processing and uh mindful the whole time here i'm still like struggling deeply with post traumatic stress and suicide you know idealization at this time of my life so it's like there's like these two like things that are going on and like i'm just i'm an emotional wreck inside but i'm also having the stimulus from this professional stimulus that's like kind of creating like a lot of this and uh, eventually it kind of came to a head um, I I did get out of the military after three years of instructing um, for a short period of time and it was probably like one of my lowest points uh, like in my life where it was just it it was just so much going I just couldn't I couldn't like really, uh, there's some parts of it in the sense that they wanted me to go back uh, to operational status. And I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I was just like, I I feel like I'm, I'm not capable right now of doing that job. And so I, I ended up quitting, essentially. <laughs> and that brought me to like this really, this dark place. And it was several years of just an incredible like struggle and it ended up a lot of things started was just surfacing it was just kind of like just sinking into this muck and in this muck ran into just again more parts of myself um and also a lot of like physical problems started kind of like popping up in this space started struggling a lot like cognitively um i have god knows how many concussive injuries um from you know fighting IEDs things like that, and it was it was pretty much the worst time of my life. <laughs> it, it showed in so many ways. It created a very dysfunctional like family state. Um, it was a nightmare of like an an experience, but it was like this slow. <sighs> that kind of used the phrase of like the the frog boiling in the pot. Like I was that frog, and it was just like just slowly getting worse and worse. And it eventually got to a point where it, it ended my marriage. Um, and it kind of brought me to this point, I remember, because I actually ended up joining the Army again. And basically, um, you know, my former wife ended up, you know, just saying, I can't, I can't deal with this. And so she ended up and leaving and I was kind of like mm-hmm. in a state of denial aisle for a, like a, a long time um I look back now and I can kind of like, obviously see it coming and I was just very difficult um, do you blame
0: her would you have... oh
1: no <laughs> yeah
0: um, I mean like um, not for the divorce but for like not being able to handle that or
1: yeah I mean it's it's such a complicated like I guess yeah. circumstances where you know, we were both married, you know, very young, um, you're married at age 20 and it's that's a whole, a whole nother ball of wax. Um, but it was, I guess it was kind of like this, again, it was like this looking glass moment where when she left, I realized I didn't have anybody else to blame. And it might sound kind of weird, but like oftentimes I think when we're in a tremendous amount of pain, it's very natural to kind of place that blame or responsibility onto others for either helping you or um, people, you know, like are responsible for your state. And I think we see that a lot in the veteran community. I don't think it's really talked about a lot. Um, but you see this essentially, you've got like a victim mentality where you kind of blame like
0: it's also a survival mentality as well and I think it's
1: a very natural part of like experiencing like hard things that like are, are ruining you like and so I think it's just a it's a stage of like that grief and I think the the tricky part is a lot of people sometimes get stuck like in that in that state. And I see it a lot of times like with other veterans, um, where they kind of they can spend years kind of like stuck in this state where their situation is somehow somebody else's, like their reason for being there is not theirs. And like I said, like it's a normal, normal state and experience to like a stage to kind of go through. But I think a lot of us get stuck in that. And I guess for me, um when she left like that really just kind of shocked me out of it like there wasn't anybody else to pick up you know my slack for being like a not great father there wasn't anybody and I can remember like I was I went out to Death Valley uh, literally like the weekend like two days like after she left and I was stuck out doing this training exercise in Death Valley and I just realized just sitting out in the desert like fuck man there's nobody else now it's just you so you need to fucking you want to be different you want to live like this no you don't so like it's on you now if you want something if you want to you want to heal it's up to you nobody else is coming and
0: it's like hitting like that was maybe close to your rock bottom of like having all these things getting that depressed leaving the military getting divorced and then realizing you're like alone that you had to that was like a pivotal moment
1: yeah it was it was definitely a moment which a lot of things kind of turned on like for me like it was uh it was that moment of clarity that it was up to me now and it kind of I didn't even know like where to start it was my life was such such a freaking mess and on the outside it looked okay but like on the inside you know it was something that it was just it was so dark um so I can remember like sh- so she left uh she went to it ended up going to, like Europe <laughs> like immediately after this and like so I was basically at home like with my son and like in rent to leave the next day I remember I just, I literally drank myself like into oblivion. And I woke up like the next morning, like in bed, like with a a loaded like pistol, like in bed. And I was like, I don't even know how I got here. And I think I was just so, like, I just wanted to die even in the morning waking up. Like, I just wanted this like to end and. Honestly, the only reason I don't think I did is because I, I had my son at the time. I was supposed to drop him off uh, that morning and then hop on a flight to go out to, to Death Valley. And I was just like, man, like that would be like really fucked up to do that. Like, well, he's here. I don't want to do that. And so I got dressed and I, I took him over to like my parents. By that time, I was like, well, I got pants on. I might as well go to the airport. Got pants on. (laughs) And uh, it was kind of like that time out in the desert was just like, all right. It's just you. Like, it's time. And I didn't really know, like, where to, like, even, like, start in this journey. Um, Like I said, like, obviously, I've been playing with, you know, mindfulness and, like, yeah. some reading stuff, but like those dots were not really connected for me. I was aware of like some mechanical aspects, but, uh, I ended up, um, long story short, uh, I ended up it doing, um, I ended up talking to a good friend and mentor of mine, a fellow, uh, Marine Corps scout sniper, uh, Kalen, who's been somebody who's kind of just periodically always kind of been popping into my life for like the last decade. And um, I remember after my time out in the desert, I, I started talking with him. And I was just like, man, like this is my fucked up life. I don't even know where to begin. And uh, he's like, dude, he's like, let me tell you about this experience that I had in Peru. And so he begins to tell me about this experience of uh, basically this journey, like with ayahuasca. And I I didn't know anything like about psychedelics or anything at this point in my life. I grew up, you know, very, um, very well behaved, so to speak. I never, you know, never even like smoked weed or anything like that growing up. And I was like, this was just a wild like world. I mean, I'm like, that sounds like some hippy dippy shit. But I also am like, there's something more here to this and like a lot of things that people are kind of talking about and experiencing from the space. Like I said earlier, I'd kind of describe our way into this as kind of the shadow gate. It's like this back door. And so I started hearing people talk about like their kind of journeys and their experiences. And I was like, I know these things, like these things that people are talking about. I just found them a different way. And it was really helpful to have somebody like Kalen, who comes from, like the world that I come from, having kind of walked this path already, and so I ended up um, basically going into uh, a journey with Ayahuasca um, later, right about six months later.
0: Did you go to Peru? Uh,
1: So I ended up going to Costa Rica. Okay. Um, So I worked, I actually uh, worked with um, a nonprofit called Heroic Hearts Project, uh, which is um a really great um like veteran nonprofit so their whole their whole function basically started by uh this guy Jesse Gould so he's a former uh, army ranger um and he started this nonprofit basically to take veterans who were kind of struggling like with you know post traumatic stress and connect them uh, with you know shamans and facilitators, and so so I ended up going down to Costa Rica. I went with um, there was uh, you know two Marines, uh, Ranger, two Canadian Special Forces guys, two British uh, SAS guys, um, and it was a incredibly transformational experience, like in, in so many ways. Um, but I guess the big part of me is it put me into, again, this very, very close contact with that beast part of myself. And it ended up like really healing, like this relationship with that part of myself. Because again, like I said earlier, like I think sometimes the most difficult parts of ourselves are actually like our best parts, just waiting to be like explored and I can remember being in ceremony like and these experiences were just so freaking intense and there was times when it was just like the only thing that you can do is breathe (laughs) and it was just like I can take one more breath I'm like all right I did that I'm going to take one more breath and It really, that experience, you know, working, you know, with like this plant medicine, it opens part of my understanding of how to connect like with the body. I realized that's like kind of where I came to like this conclusion and this understanding that like a big part of like my struggle was like this disconnect between these different parts of my mind and even my body. And kind of coming out of that experience, I was like, "All right, how do I integrate these experiences?" Because it's it's really great to go and just trip balls in the jungle. Um, <laughs> but, but what really matters is like, all right, when you come back from this, how does this change your how does this change your life? And again, like many ways it's an opening, and it's giving you basically a bag of tools. And you're like, all right, you're ready go back out into the world and you know change change your actual physical existence as well and i guess being open like that and realizing okay i got some tools here to work with it that's how i ended up kind of starting to play with you know meditation and because i had tried you know i to be prior to this i guess what led me to like this extreme an example of you know having to go to the jungle and do psychedelics um what led me to that was kind of failing like repeatedly like doing like talk therapy um there was some good success that kind of came from that and I tried like kind of doing meditation stuff and it was like it was like this wall like I just I can remember just sitting trying to like meditate doing kind of meditations and just being like I fucking can't (laughs) It's so hard. And um, and again, like I'd also like when I'd got when I'd gotten out of the military, I'd gone to the VA and like their solution was like, here, take take all these different drugs. Like we'll just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks. And I was like, no. <laughs> There's a part of me that like knew I was like, that's not gonna work very well. And uh, so it was kind of like a, an act of desperation really to I was out of options. And this was like the last like Hail Mary for me to like really try to save myself. It opened something into me and like it's really difficult to describe, but I guess uh, the opening was like this awareness of the connection of like mind and body together. And one of the things that just really stuck with me was like this meditation, especially through manipulation of breath and how powerful that can be. And it kind of, it led into me exploring kind of like different like concepts and modalities of like meditation. That's um, a short time after that. Like I started, uh, you know, tantric practice. And, you know, you know, a lot of people hear tantric and they automatically start thinking like, oh, like sex and like things like that. But for me, it was honestly just this understanding, like energetic flow both like in and out. And honestly, a big part of it was capturing like joy and bliss. Like and there was so much that like came out of that. And this understanding for me of like kind of like what meditation actually is. Like for me, I can remember going back before this, like talking, you know, with um a therapist and being like, can we have you ever thought about meditation? And I'm like, I don't even know what meditation is. (laughs) Like, so I guess coming out of this experience, like it really made me start to explore that. And when I say like meditation, like for me, like what I'm kind of describing, I guess, is kind of creating like this conscious like thread or like tether, like with your mind and body and kind of just like connecting, just connecting those two. And you can kind of use it for the different purposes of having flow come in or having flow come out. So, like, flow out, like I kind of see it as kind of like trying to focus, like, on something. Like, if I really want to, like, focus on something, like this meditation, these different practices are kind of it's an outflow. Or you can kind of reverse that energetic flow. And it's kind of like an inwards where I'm contemplating, where I'm kind of focusing on a part that's, like, inside that I want to really kind of explore and you know it's very like you know, simple terms and the term meditation I think is it's so huge and like nebulous it means a lot of different things to different people but when I think about it like that's it's kind of like where I go with it and just like creating like the conscious tether you know, between the different parts of like the mind and the body and this kind of bringing everything together for like a little while and kind of help focusing for coming in or coming out the breath was for me, like a huge, a huge, huge part of that, like that was just, I it had just been staring at me like in the face the whole time to go back to like my experiences, like, you know, shooting for years. I was like, I've been doing this the whole freaking time, <laughs> but like it just never, it never really made sense to me. it it's just all around it. I had all these pieces and then that journey made me kind of realize I'm like, all these pieces can kind of come together for this.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's like, yes, we all do breathe, breathe all day, but we don't pay any attention to it. And we literally wouldn't even be alive without this. Yet we give it no time, you know? So it's like, what would happen if you focused on 10 in one day? (laughs) 10 of them, you know? Like, what a huge difference it makes.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Like, I guess it's, yeah, just looking back, like, it's funny, like, again, to kind of come in the back door to like breathing and like meditation and it's it's from a direction that like a lot of people a lot of people don't really connect this way through it and so it was a lot of like I guess wandering around like yeah for lack of better terms because I guess my community that I come from doesn't have a lot of people that traverse this like it's Surprisingly, I look around now and I see a lot of people that are just they're they're in this space, but they don't know it yet. and it it's right there because I think I think you're seeing, especially within you know special operations specifically, you know most of us have now been doing this for the last fifteen to twenty years, you know with, you know the circumstances that have existed in the world. And we are, we have this combination of experiencing some very like tremendous and powerful experiences with our, with our, our lives that we have lived, but we're also now becoming very open to like exploring that with a little bit more detail. Um, and some of these tools that generations in the past of, uh, you know, let say warriors have not necessarily had although when we kind of look at the warrior experience like you know if you go back you know millennia you do see this very strong connection with you know the mindfulness um and meditation like in this space but i think in our culture now for many years like that connection for warriors mm. and very very difficult we don't really have a culture or community that supported it well but i just think through the time and experience and basically opportunities that were being afforded now you're starting to see kind of this this weird let's say cult <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's kind of appearing like within especially the special operations community of people that mm-hmm. are exploring like a very wide spectrum because they've they've seen some fascinating sides of the universe, and they're like, Man, there's something going on here. Yeah. Oftentimes we look at things as like this this line, the spectrum yeah. of like of like of experience. And I think if you zoom out far enough, you start to see that it's not really a line, it's actually just a segment of this huge circle that ends up coming back. And so you know, martial arts is a, is a good example of that. A lot of like the things that we do nowadays, like yoga, like Tai Chi, like a lot of these are actually connected to some very, very old, like martial practices. And it's kind of weird now because a lot of the martial practices that we have that are kind of modern functional are not connected to this, this spiritual, this physiological aspect. I think we're starting to see that connection, like I was kind of discussing earlier. I think you're seeing more recognition that it is like that wide circle, that the light is the darkness just as much as the darkness is the light. Really, there's no good or evil. It's all just the same thing. And it's a lot to kind of like take in, but I think the more time you spend like in that space, you start to realize like, oh, this is all the same thing. We're all kind of connected to it.
0: Have you heard of the Bhagavad Gita?
1: Oh, freaking love it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's like, you know, oh, like the idea of war is hard and the work and the violence and the stuff you said about like killing bad guys and stuff. It's like, it's hard for those of us who haven't been there. We appreciate, but we couldn't do that or, you know, whatever it is. And the Bhagavad Gita is basically a story. Well, it's a song that Krishna sings to Arjuna on a battlefield where Arjuna doesn't want to have to fight a war against his brother. And Krishna is like, there's evil in the world. You have to fight. Like, it's not about, like, nonviolence all the time and never doing anything like that. It's like, there is evil in this world. But there is a question that I wanted to ask you that I wrote down a while ago that kind of goes into this part with, like, all the violence that you've had to see and be, be in, um, two questions. Do you ever like regret the path you took? In some ways, I know you're probably wouldn't be who you are now. You wouldn't have the love of your life now and all these things, but like, what would you change anything if you were to go back? And secondly, what kind of tools do you need to use or have learned to use? If any, maybe you don't even have to, to separate yourself from the person who has to do these acts of violence, if that makes sense. All right. A lot of
1: loaded, a lot of questions. Yeah.
0: Um, I hope that's okay.
1: Well, What was the first question?
0: The first question is, um, while you probably don't regret like where you are now, do you regret sometimes your path you took or what would you kind of change if anything? Yeah.
1: Um, I would change nothing. Okay. I, I've had this realization, I guess, in the in the coming of like these all these experiences and trying to try to put them into greater understanding. Cause I think again a lot of the struggle is we have like these boxes that we kind of put our experiences in. And we're like, all right, this is the shape of the universe. And inevitably it doesn't matter how good your box is, it's just eventually it's gonna get it's gonna get full and it's gonna freaking rupture and because like it just doesn't work that way and so like these ideas when we become very attached to our boxes and our ideas like that's where like a lot of pain definitely comes from is being attached to thinking that the world is a certain way and like for me like that's this experience that's the necessity is to have to have a box, and to have it can be completely destroyed from time to time. And so, when I look at the experiences that I've had, they have been incredibly painful. Like it's been a lot of suffering. It's created not just for me. Like it's been hard, you know, on my family. It's been hard on my kids. But also, like it's in like this pain and the suffering. Like that is where this is, this is the experience. Like it's there, that's what it's for. The pain draws like this attention to existence and growth. And I look back like at a lot of my experiences and I wish that, there's a part party that is like, why does it have to be this way? And I think oftentimes we, that part of us that wants it to be different wants it to be easy like that's a part of us that like it just it it's scared to be in a state of pain that's okay to have that but I think I've come to this understanding that the purpose of like this life and this existence with all of us together is not to be perfect it's not to fix you know, oftentimes there's like this idea of like saving the world, that we have to fix like everything, that if everybody would just freaking get on board and freaking behave and do good things, that life would be like, it'd be like a heaven on earth. But I think that is not the point of what we're experiencing here. I think the beauty of our existence is that it's meant to change us. We're not meant to like fix it. It's meant to be an experience that changes who we are, and that only comes through pain. Um, not only—I take that back. Pain is an incredibly powerful mechanism for change, mm-hmm. and I think you are In bound. Anger,
0: anxiety, anger—all
1: yeah. of that. Like so, oftentimes we experience pain, especially here like, in the West America, we have such an amazing ability to circumvent pain. Like, we can avoid it a lot. And we do. We're, we're getting pretty good at it. We have a whole culture that is, that is, you know, like, like the American dream. Like, a big part of the American dream is basically escaping, like, the, a lot of the pain and suffering. There's... The, the attempt to escape the pain, I guess, is where a lot of our problems. Because we run and we can run and we run. And I ran for freaking years. Mm-hmm. That's weird because there's a part of me that kept pulling me like to this war and the suffering and this pain. And I was like, what? I can remember one time, like just I remember standing in the shower after this deployment for like an hour and just like in fucking tears because. I, there's a part of me that wanted to go back so bad. Then there was this other part of me that was just like, we can't do this. Like, you are going to fucking kill us if you keep going back. And like, there's a part of me that wanted both those things. And I think when we come into understanding what the experience is, and like, again, this mindset of like, okay, this is happening me this pain and suffering this is a part of it and it's not to say that you can't experience joy and, and love and trust like those are like some of the most amazing beautiful things that I experience now like to know like this love and joy at a level I have never even could have imagined existed only happened because of my experiences of like embracing like the pain and like the suffering. And also, I think we have to realize that like we are all mechanisms for each other to experience, you know, that pain and suffering sometimes. When you're, you know, potentially in conflict or struggling against another person, you know, sometimes like that experience is necessary for you just as it is for them. And that was a really hard thing for me to, I guess, really think about and kind of like take in, you know, thinking about, you know, the conflicts that I've had in some of like, some of my experiences have involved some incredibly, incredibly difficult experiences where you know, I was in conflict with individuals that I knew, like personally, and to like have to take a life with somebody that, you know, like at a personal level that you've literally sat down and, you know, you've had meals with this person. You've talked about your kids with this person and then end up on a battlefield coming, you know, face to face with that person and, and taking their life. That's a lot to like really process. I'm like, why is this happening? Okay. <laughs> like, how the fuck did we get here? Why? Why? Just That's the. That's probably
0: why. one of the hardest things.
1: Yeah, it was one of the hardest things to experience, and yeah. there's a lot of different answers to it. And the answer I'm on at this point in my life is like we both needed that experience together, and it's not that he was bad it's not that i'm bad and it's maybe he is bad and maybe i'm also bad you know to leave i can remember seeing his sons you know a short time afterwards you know ages you know 6 and 12 and being like oh my god i've created like this absolute like nightmare of a situation and being like why again why oh. like why why did this experience have to happen this way i think again the point of the existence is not to change but to be changed there's a party that wishes for like that heaven earth but like this is earth (laughs) this this is the point of the existence is to experience something and i think that's the most powerful thing that we can do is to honor those experiences and recognize them like okay like, this is part of this a human experience. And I think it, it's hard, you know, because when you step into some of these spaces, they're very taboo, like topics. And to go back to like, even these experiences of like, you know, suicide is something that is, it's a, it's a dark aspect of the human experience. Yeah. But I think.
0: you can see how too, it's like, I have to take other people's lives. Why not mine?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that was like, that was a really hard part of my, that was for a long time. Like, as knowing, I'm like, I've, you know, I've taken so many lives. Could I take my own? And it was almost like this this mental cat and mouse game between this part of me that's like, you could do it. And this other part of me is like, I bet you can't get me. <laughs> this is really, a really weird dynamic. But I mean, ultimately, like, I think I I can't go back. And change that, and I wouldn't, because I I don't think the purpose of existence is to avoid the struggle.
2: Yeah.
1: I think to embrace it. You know, going back to the Bhagavad Gita, like I fucking love that book. Yeah. Um,
0: what like do you love I, about it?
1: I guess when I first read that, it resonated like at a very archetypal level with me. Like to understand, you know just like on the floor of the chariot and he's just like he's in absolute like turmoil of like he's called to fight but yet he's fighting against his own family and then really yeah. that's what we're all doing yeah so when you start kind of like deal, you
0: with somebody you actually know you know
1: yeah. literally i never really thought about it that way but yeah <laughs> like it is we all know each other like in a way like even the most distant like human connection like there I believe like there is a very deep soul connection you know to the well of the world like you can get very spiritual if you want to get like that it's something that I believe in like there is that connection so you start realizing you don't freaking know everything, I and mean, all you got is like a little chunk of like the cosmos of understanding. And I think we're always trying to constantly figure out where our chunk fits in, where our truths and our understanding fits in. And that was something that you know, I experienced a lot in my time in Afghanistan. You know, there's a lot of fascinating philosophical like aspects to some of like the culture there. We like to think of truth as like this monolithic thing that's like not subject to challenge. And in reality, is like truth. There's a lot of variation as to how to interpret it. Something that's very real. You can be looking at, you know, we're looking at a house from one side and you're like, the house is blue. I'm looking at the other side. I'm like, no, man, the house is red. Well, your side might be painted blue. My side might be painted red. Who's right, who's wrong? Like, a lot of times you get focused into thinking of what we see, what we observe, what we experience while true is sometimes like it's only a a piece of it to sum it up no I changed nothing
0: (laughs) yeah you actually answered the other question within it too I believe which is like about how do you like separate yourself from the violence and I feel like it kind of sounds like by understanding that this is part of your journey and your lessons and the other person's thing and the relationship between the two and yeah yeah
1: yeah, I think again we we have a, a lot here in the West. It comes from like a very good like place where we want to separate ourselves from yeah. pain, from violence. But I think there is an important aspect, and I'm not saying like everybody has to embrace like violence, but I think understanding that like people are on different journeys sometimes, you know, like again, connecting with the Bhagavad, like it was like this archetypal story to me that when I heard and read it, I instantly recognized. I'm like, this is this is my journey in this story. Yeah. People might read it and be like, oh, interesting story, but like, what they're here for at that moment or time, man, may not it may not be that. For yeah. me, it it was as soon as I heard it,
0: I was like, that's yeah, it. it's your life, yeah. Like, almost direct, directly. But I want to talk to you about what's your meditation practice now? And then any tools or tips that you would recommend to people?
1: Yeah. So, my meditation practice now, I mean, anybody who's experienced meditation, there's lots of variations sometimes from day to day. I guess, like, one of like my big things that I do, so the box breathing, I mentioned it earlier. So, like, this is it's like a tool that i use like pretty often for me like the box breathing is kind of the short easy way to bring like that focus out like when i have something that i'm trying to it's just, like, wrap my mind around like i want to like work through something uh, and focus like kind of that energy like for me the the box breathing again it connects the mind and body i first
0: can you tell about. people um what box breathing is
1: so the way that I kind of do it is basically we start kind of like breathing in. So breathing in for four seconds and we hold for four seconds at the top of the breath. Then we're kind of releasing the breath four seconds, holding it at the bottom for four seconds. And we kind of repeat that process. I generally breathe through my nose like for this. And typically what I find is it helps kind of just like zoom out and kind of give you like okay it makes sometimes in situations where I'm just like man how am I gonna how am I gonna deal with this like this thought how am I gonna get my head like around this and for me like it's kind of like it's this very grounding it's fascinating because you actually start to see this four by four breathing technique pop up like in a lot of different um practices um I think one of the funniest things i found it is um if anybody's uh grew up like catholic so you know hail mary you know full of grace you know that cycle is right around four seconds and you start to see this pattern all mm-hmm. sorts of practices as well and it's because there's like a an actual physiological response that begins to occur like in this four by four and mm-hmm. first time i ever learned this it was from a british sas student and i thought he was kind of like on the edge out there uh until i started doing it and i was like wow you know this is a super quick way within mm-hmm. you know a period of you know forty seconds or so, like you can really kind of just bring yourself back down and start making you know decisions around things that sometimes are like, are like ah, how do I do this? And you start feeling like that tension. Yes, yeah. like a great way to kind of just bring it back down. So that's like when I want to focus like on outward, um, and then like the whole tropic, like uh, like the Wim Hof style, like breathing. Is something that I find when I want to go in, like I find that to be a, a really easy kind of practical way to like go about it um, for people who aren't familiar with um, that sort of breathing. So it's a little bit different, it takes a little bit more intention, I think, like a little bit more focus, and so you want a bit more space for it. Um, but what we're doing kind of with with that sort of breathing. Um, You can get really super technical. And I highly recommend, like, if anybody's interested in this, like the Wim Hof style is probably one of the most, like, easily approachable, like, ways. Uh, Essentially, just to describe it for those who are listening, you're basically about 30 to 60 seconds of kind of breathing in. Usually it's, like, through the mouth. Basically it's what we call, like, a circle breath. So, like, you're breathing in, and there's no pause. So you breathe in, and you're breathing out. Just these full breaths in and out. And it kind of brings you to kind of almost like a uh, say like a hyperventilating kind of state where you're kind of, you're overloading like the system. Um so a lot of times you'll start you know right around thirty to sixty seconds. Um, and then at the end of that sixty seconds or so, you're gonna hold the breath on empty, yeah, on empty. So basically,
0: yeah, just like um, we were empty. talking about with um, shooting.
1: yeah, you're gonna come to that empty at that natural respiratory pause. And you're just going to hold it for as long as you can go until you start feeling. You're going to start feeling like the pressure build. And then and you you
0: start to freak out in your mind at first, too. Like, I'm going to die. I'm going to (laughs) die.
1: You feel like you're going to die. And then there's a whole series of emotions that can kind of come up for it. And then once you can't hold it anymore, you breathe in another about 15 second hold. And then you let out and you start the
0: cycle again. Don't do this in the bathtub.
1: So, yes, uh, notes on this, guys. <laughs> Make sure you're in, you're not driving a car or you're in a bathroom or anything like that because this can become a very intense experience. Definitely more intentional. Like, you definitely want to just be a, a very safe place for this. Like, usually I'll do this maybe about three times and it really helps in the space of those long holds. For me, I'm, there's a lot of stuff that's like going through my head and it just, it gives me, like, this space to kind of sort out, like, in between breaths. I'm just sorting out, like, a lot of stuff and bringing a lot of focus back to, you know, the core of, like, what I want to experience. And so I typically will do this about three times. Like, so this also is also is, I like to think of this as kind of like a gateway into, like, the holotropic breathing. So I've done longer sessions of this, um, you know, guided the practitioner up to about 45 minutes. And, like, if you really want to experience the power of breath, it is a fascinating experience where you go to some incredible places within the mind and the heart of, like, the human experience just through this breathing practice. Um, I've had experiences doing this where it is. Uh, for lack of better terms it's it's a psychedelic experience where having these emotions and these thoughts and experiences that you know like in a lot of things sometimes get kind of like trapped you know in places and it, it's a release to get at some of these things um so it's a and it's a huge spectrum like the breathing for me like again meditative breathing like as somebody who struggled a long time with how do I freaking meditate and just so much freaking noise sometimes like when you're first trying to like really get into that meditative space it's it's freaking hard like I've been there and for me the breath like using the breath either you know the box breathing or you know this like kind of Wim Hof style like these are very accessible ways to kind of bring the mind and the body together. They're probably one of my favorite, most efficient ways for me to like, kind of be like in this meditative space to kind of contemplate things. That's why I use breath a lot.
0: The meditation that you're gonna be leading us in, if people wanna stick around or come back another day or use it as often as you like in the next episode, um, what are you kind of thinking about uh, leading us in?
1: So I think the box, the box breathing. I think, again, it's so simple and it's my favorites so I think that's uh that's a simple easy way to go about that
0: okay I look forward to it and I just really 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 want to thank you for taking all this time and for just like truly opening up I'm sure a lot of people are gonna like resonate with your vulnerability and all the stuff you shared and I'm really grateful so thank Uh, you
1: well thank you I know yeah Oh, it's a pain sometimes trying to get a hold of me and like
0: <laughs> you're good. <laughs> I'm like, you're not I'm the, not the worst. Trust me, you're not no. the worst. Okay. Well, thank you so much and I look forward to your meditation. Thanks. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you stick around for the meditation on the next episode. If you're interested in wellness coaching through a meditative lens or starting your own meditation practice with accountability, check out TheMeditationWard.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at TheMeditationWard and please like, review us and share with your friends. See you soon.